Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Mass Timber Insurance Playbook Introduction and Workshop. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, can you hear me okay? <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, a warm welcome to Footprint. Uh, my name's Oliver Booth. I'm a partner at Gardner and Theobald and a cost manager. Um, but for the last 12, 15 years, I've been very passionate about mass timber projects, um, mass timber hybrid projects, and offsite construction generally. Um, for the last six to nine months, uh, I've been working with these, these guys here um, and, and several other people as well, pulling together a mass timber insurance playbook. And I must say it's been written predominantly by the insurance world. And I think most of us have probably experienced insurance coming up on some of our timber or timber hybrid projects. And why I think it's important, and I'll leave it to Phil, who's been instrumental in writing this, to tell you more about it. I think that for me, the important thing is they've, they've translated how the insurers think into our language as construction professionals and hopefully it's going to help guide us um, answer some of their questions and ultimately make getting insurance that bit easier um, by understanding their rhetoric um, they are a conduit I would say between the insurance industry and, and ourselves so um, what I would say is just to introduce you to the panel today um, and, and everybody here so first I've got Philip Callow the director um, of uh, Mass Timber Risk Consulting. Um, Jonathan Foragu, um, who's uh, also a, a director at Urban. Um, you've probably come across them, one of the big subcontractors uh, delivering mass timber and hybrid projects. We've got Robert Innes, who is construction risk engineer at Zurich UK. Zurich have also been part uh, of the, the Mass Timber Insurance Playbook and, and inputting as well, which we, we thank them for that. Um, unfortunately, uh, Alex, who's on the screen from BK Structures, can't be here today, so we wish him well, um, but unfortunately can't hear. And also we've got Kelly Harrison, uh, who's the director at Whitby Wood, a structural engineer, and has been working on mass timber projects for as long as I can remember. So I'm literally just going to uh, launch into a very quick introduction from my perspective about how this all came about. Um, I want to talk a little bit, first of all, about a little mass timber stakeholder map. And I'm sure everybody in the audience um, probably comes into one of these categories as an organization, but if you put all the organizations and all the people that fall into these different categories, and please email us and let us know if we've missed any of them out, you can see that it covers so many different individuals, um, from funders putting up the money, architects, project managers, subcontractors, the Forestry Commission, um, you know, various forestries across Europe and the world, regulators and legislators, uh, the public, the end users, the tenants, governing bodies like uh, uh, TDUK and STA and FC, FSC and PFC in terms of chains of custody. You can see how many uh, different people it, it, it kind of covers and, and encapsulates. And I think that was really important for us because pre-pandemic, um, it clashed with the pandemic actually, we put together a mass timber forum which covered these categories um, to try and basically uh, get people in a room and discuss all the issues that we were having. Then the pandemic happened uh, and we decided to switch it online and we now have over 200 people on our, our mailing list uh, who listen into the forums. They're all available on, online. Uh, if, you, if you haven't managed to find them in the white papers, um, all of these guys and others have inputted into it. Uh, we'll very happily give you access to them. But the, you know, we covered fire, insurance, sustainability, best practice in construction with the main contractors, cost program procurement, capacity supply chain, structure, MEP and acoustics, leasing and sales with the agents and architecture and de design. But the first one, the insurance one, was probably the most popular one. And it seems to be the one where we've got the most questions and seems to be perhaps hampering our, our mass timber projects from happening. 
And really, the, the findings of the forum, um, having these various panels and experts on them, really boiled down to four things. And I think they epitomize really what the Mass Timber Insurance playbook is. Um, one, it, it's mainly about sustainability and well-being. Why are we doing timber buildings? Because there's a real belief that they are good for the environment. Timber buildings are good for the environment. Um, and that sustainability and well-being is at the, the crux of what we're all trying to do. It's very much about collaboration and expertise, and hence why we've started working with the insurance industry, uh, just one of the stakeholder groups, and understanding our language better. And I think this is important as well, because yes, the Mass Timber Insurance Playbook is about timber and timber hybrid buildings, but actually, why isn't there an insurance playbook for all construction projects, no matter what materials we're using? Um, it's about regulation standards and testing, and getting some consistency and some guidance, and it's about hybrid development. By that, what I mean is, let's not make this a square peg round hole, use timber um, efficiently and, and sustainably, perhaps you mix it with other materials uh, to give it the best chance, and we should really just be giving it the best chance. So at that point, I'm just gonna hand you over to uh, Philip, Philip Callow, who's gonna talk you through what the playbook is and how it all works. Thanks, Tommy. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, my name's Philip Callow. My background is 22 years as a construction insurance broker and underwriter, so I come from the dark side, I guess, of people in this room. Um, we came up with the idea from the playbook when I was looking to solve an underwriting conundrum, which was we've got a new material, we've got demand, we've got a customer base that want to use it, um, and yet we, as a community, don't like the risks that it's representing. So there must be a path through the middle there because we have competent people delivering buildings that, that really do go back to the roots of us as as intelligent human beings, right? So we can do this, but how do we do it in a, in a way where we can manage the risk? Um, and one of the things that we, we thought about was actually we needed to demystify what it is that we as the insurance world, insurance markets need from you as the owners, the developers, the designers, the contractors, and the users of these buildings. So really we, we decided to come up with a playbook in association with ASBP, the, uh, Association for Sustainable Building Practice, um, built by Nature, um, Zurich, Marsh, and Garden of Theobald and Urban. And, and my co-author, Jim Glockling, couldn't be here today. He's, a, he's somewhat of a leader when it comes to, to fire risk uh, uh, and insurance, uh, and it's someone um, who, who we couldn't have done this without. So what is the Mass Timber Insurance Playbook, or, or how to use it? We, we really go through the process of, of the light bulb moment from yes, we want to build a building or yes, we want to uh, 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 renovate a building and go through that to, to the end use. Um, there's some key parts of it are a qualitative design review. So there is a moment when the key parties to delivering that project set the parameters as to what they want to do. Uh, and we are, as you'll see, we sort of think that, that when it comes to mass timber, you really need to start thinking about the resilient strategies uh, around that. Using solutions engineering as to how you're managing the risks, the ideas of peer review, there are plenty of competent people out there, but there aren't that many competent people who have delivered mass timber. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't, but like as we all learn every day, it's just a process of actually trying to cherry pick and getting your ideas reviewed and seeing if that does equate to best practice or new best practice. Um, compliance objectives. Obviously, this is where it sort of comes in from the regulatory standpoint. I think we all agree that, that from a regulation or regulatory standpoint in this country is kind of lacking, certainly compared to other Western uh, uh, jurisdictions. Um, and so really, it, when it's lacking in that, what you can make as voluntary objectives 
to, uh, to counter that, that poor regulatory framework. And a perfect example of that is non-combustible voids, for example, something that in the US is, is, is very key to the success or the traction of, of mass timber and timber in general. Um, how we do that, as in how we're structured, it all revolves around the guidance sheets, which follow the REBA stages from zero to seven. Um, it then links in various parts of that. The resilience strategy, which is a choice, that's an objective, as we're saying, that is set by the, the leading parties of the project. And then we give you some, some information on that. It's rather insurance heavy and the information appendix, but they're there for those that, that want to see it about what it is that we think, or we long established principles that we know for, for property and building resilience. Um, the authorities having just jurisdiction, this is obviously a very a key part to this, the framework that we, we all work in. Obviously we have the government, I've, I've mentioned perhaps the lack of regulation there. The client, it's a choice, it's up to you as to what you choose to do on your project. And then the insurer. The insurer is very much reactionary to what the government and the client establish is the, is the pathway for their development. No insurer, the insurance market, are not going to tell you what to do. This is really important. It's a commercial choice to offer you an insurance product. And therefore, if you want to buy an insurance product, you have, it's a commercial transaction. Um, really important. No one is just there to uh, uh, mandated to give you that insurance project. It's an offer and acceptance contract. Any uh, authorities having jurisdiction, you obviously have the business objectives. And, and a lot of that is around, as we're seeing now, the sustainability part. But you also have the choice around resilience. It, it is a choice, as I keep on saying, and this is something that we're very keen to reiterate between the, these parties. Um, the other challenge is, well, we, we bring in 26 risk features in the appendix. This is very much from the insurance underwriting community. We talk about the differences between life safety and property protection, um, the voluntary objectives in this area that, that really go further than regulation does. And then the key part from an underwriter's perspective is the estimated maximum loss. For any of you, those of you in the audience that know a lot about this, we've kept this really simple. There's more than one way to describe the, the principle of estimated maximum loss, but we've just taken a very basic review of it because the, the key principles are uniform across any measurement of that. Um, we follow the REBA stages. I'm sure you're all aware of these. Um, and we break those down to each section uh, with really four areas. We have the, the essential principles for fire mitigation. Some, so in, in, in stage zero, for example, there's only one, but when you're actually during the technical design and, and construction, there are many that apply. Some key themes, and the idea around this is to actually make it quite readable. We don't want an insurance technical document here. We want something that just gives you the ideas so that you can pull that into your voluntary objectives, pull that into your design, pull that into your, your working practices on site. That then links in very nicely to risk mitigation actions, things you can do. There's some new things in there, use of technology. One of the most obvious ones is, is water monitoring, automatic shutoff valves and so on. It may seem obvious to this environment, but you'd be surprised and amazed at how many people just don't even seem to think about it. Water is the bigger cause of loss than fire across all construction and property. So it's things like this that we're saying, look, this is what we're seeing. This is what we want you to think about. These are really easy things and, and very cost-effective things that you can do 
to actually make it a better risk and, and mitigate potential hazards? And then what to do from an insurance perspective? And we're quite prescribed on that, when to talk to people, when to engage, so on and so on. This is what the guidance sheets actually look like. A bit too small for you, apologies about that. Um, and then we really come to the key takeaways. So the key themes that we've really come up with are the voluntary objectives, right? The business continuity planning, the owner developer, the money sets the strategy. Uh, it has to start and stop with, with the owners and the developers. Broader and early engagement, this came out of the GT, Ollie's work. Um, it's really important to engage with your insurance community early. Too early, it's a waste of time for everyone, but earlier than you would do on a normal building. Uh, the importance of fire risk engineering and EML modeling. Um, this is really, really important. A competent fire risk engineer can make a very well uh, a very well-informed judgment as to what the estimated maximum loss is. I should say, if you don't know what that is, it's the, it's the modelling around, well, if there was a fire event, what's the worst that could happen? Does it tend to lead to a total loss with regards to mass timber, or is, is it compartmentalised? Does design allow for burnout, and would, therefore, 25% of the project be affected? Very important from an insurer's perspective. Repairability. Again, it may seem obvious, but we rely on data. There aren't many mass timber buildings. There's even fewer that have had a loss event. How do you repair it? We need you as the design community, as the owners, the developers, the contractors, the suppliers to tell us how you repair that particular project in the event of a loss. Don't leave it to the insurers to make assumptions that they'll always be negative. The other area is the aesthetic versus structural. It's very easy in a, uh, a, a, a traditional building with plasterboard and, and so on and paint to just uh, plaster over the cracks, so to speak. With bare timber, we can't do that. So there's a choice there between the owner and the insurers as to the level of cover that you can give. This is very rare to have in, in property. Um, tech digitalization, golden thread. I think we're all aware of the golden thread now. Information is key for insurance. So how you can use that to give a better uh, uh, relationship with your insurers is very important. Other technology, I've, I've, uh, Internet of Things, I've mentioned water management and so on. Um, again, choices that you can make to better manage your risk. Property insurance goes back to the information piece, the digital thread. This is going to be really important for insurers going forward. And then finally, insurance is a marketplace. It's a commercial decision. Bad practice does affect all, um, and that's before and beyond mass timber, by the way. And insurers need confidence. So everything you do is about giving the insurer confidence that your project is designed to be as resilient as it, as it can be. Just finally, Kelly's here, but, but on her behalf, um, very briefly, this is an example uh, where Whitby Wood, um, with Design Engine Architects and Zurich Insurance, use the principles of the playbook to look at the original design, get review from Zurich, work out the pinch points, the areas that Zurich believed needed some more focus to be as resilient as they could be, some minor design changes to some key areas from Zurich, the insurance community's perspective, easy to, uh, to make those changes, successful insurance and a successfully deployed project. A really important uh, example of how this can work. Anyway, thank you very much. Thanks, Phil.
Okay, so the, the next section now, we're going to launch into a, a Q&A. Just a bit of housekeeping first, please. If you do have any questions, you can scan the QR code and then put them on, and I'll be able to pick them up in the next 10 minutes and use the last five minutes to ask any questions uh, of the panel. Or you can access um, this group through the, uh, the, the apps that you've been using for Footprint and give us any questions, and we'll ask them. So I'm just going to launch straight into the guys and ask some questions that I have. Um, starting with you, Phil, uh, how did the playbook come about? How did it happen? Uh, frustration, um, mainly from you, Ollie, but, um, but, but no, a, a lot of frustration and, and we can solve so many problems and, and in my career there's been, not myself personally, but we've seen many difficult issues around what the insured want to do and what the insurers uh, need, to, need to provide cover. Um, it, this is, it's easy to solve with communication and with logic um, and with commitment from the developers, owners, the design community on that, on that project. But we're quite a closed shop in the world of insurance. We're very sociable, but, but the market works to, to the nuances that, that are very specific to it. So to give you guys the, the best insight you, you, you could give into how we work and what we want, it, it was really the, 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 the foundation of it. I think it's worth just pointing out that it is free to download. Anybody can get access to it. So this is literally, if you're starting a mass timber job or you're at any stage, um, do try and download it. Just, just read it. It's about 45, 50 pages. The 26 risks that are identified are well worth going through. If anything, it's just start at the very beginning, start ticking boxes, reach out to these guys and, and, and speak to them. Um, and hopefully they'll help you. Um, and, I, and I guess the goal is really, Phil, is to to make more insurance available, to help people get insurance for construction insurance, property insurance, any insurance related to mass timber. Would that be fair to say? Uh, absolutely. The, the, fundamentally, the underwriters are, are, are humans, part of our society. We, we're, we understand why we want these buildings. I mean, I, I'd love to be in one right now because it'd be way cooler than this, but it, it, it's that type of thing. We, we get it, but we're also a commercial entity. We also have our own bosses, we also have our own P&Ls. We, we, we get judged very harshly when something goes wrong that we had nothing to do with it, right? Underwriters lose their jobs if they're not making an underwriting profit. And I should say the last three to four years have been incredibly harsh for both construction and property underwriters, many of which have lost their jobs. So to then put something that, that seemingly is obvious, uh, seeming, seemingly obviously more volatile, being timber that burns and water uh, and susceptible to water damage is really hard for them to then give you a price and give you cover when the rest of the world is really difficult for them as well. Mm -hmm. So there's the human element, which, which means it's another reason why you need to go over beyond to actually deliver the information required for a successful project. And would you say um, that that the insurance community have received this well. I've probably asked this of Robert as well after you. Um, and also with the drive to more sustainable materials, more sustainable construction, what do you think the, the, the response is from the insurance industry? Are we going to see them actively seeking out more sustainable construction because that's part of what, what they want to be about? I mean, is there an appetite for it? Yeah, I, I think, come back to the human element, I think that they as just members of society want to. You know, and, and insurance is really good at solving problems. We're going through a big... Uh, discovery just like we are from I guess a mass timber perspective with hydrogen for example the thing about hydrogen is it's that the numbers are just much bigger 
right, it, you know, as a big business and so on. We're not talking about a, a 10 million school, a 20 million office block. We're talking about things that, that have probably three or four or five more zeros on the end of it. So it, it's much more compelling because, again, we're all part of a business uh, environment where P&L matters. Um, but just by having the likes of Marshall and Zurich involved shows you how important this is. This isn't a marketing exercise for them. Um, you know, both companies have, have been very vocal about the difficulties around this, obviously coming from two different angles, one as a broker, one as, a, a, as, a, as an insurer. But these are two, two of the biggest global players in this space. They want answers as well. Um, and they realize that collaboration and, and setting a framework, um, which is not prescriptive, it's just a descriptive way of going around uh, getting a successful outcome is, is super important for everyone. Would you agree with that, Robert? Do you, do you think that there's going to be more appetite to, you know, the insurers to ensure sustainable construction, uh, such as Mass Timber and others? I think so. Um, there's a lot of engagement with the insurance market in the construction industry that you probably don't see. There are lots of bodies and organisations being involved with. We're involved in the SCA. We were involved in your series. We've been involved in this. We want to try and help. And also what we're trying to do is portray what are our key concerns. If you know what our concerns are, what makes us tick, then hopefully then it gives you the opportunity to try and address that. And as Phil says, at the end of the day, insurance is also it's a commercial transaction. It has to be profitable for an insurer. There's, there's nothing that an insurer won't insure, barring coal, but um, that they won't insure. And, and profitability for insurer is premium in is greater than the claims that you pay out. So. And, and part of the issue today has been that we don't have lots of claims data to, to run with. And we know that when, you involve mass, when you're using mass timber as a product, your claims are going to be higher. I think there's no, there's no question of that. But what that looks like, an insurer doesn't know. So they have to price it accordingly. So an insurer will in always insure a project, and they want to. There's a, but it has to be commercially viable for them. And we do. Zurich, we insure the black and white building. We've insured buildings across America. It's, it's not that insurers don't want to do it. Yeah. Like I say, it just has to be commercially viable. And, and insurers, I mean, I, I like to think we're not putting our heads in the sand and we want to try and engage with this, which is why we were, you know, we've endorsed and we want to support the playbook. And as a construction risk engineer, could you give us very quickly in 45 seconds to a minute, how do you approach uh, a mass timber project or a, a mass timber hybrid? What are the things you're looking for? What are things that increase or decrease risk from your perspective what kind of things should we be thinking about to make your, your life easier? I mean, I think the playbook does it quite well. I mean, I, to give you perspective, I have a day to work out, to go through all of your project information, to work out, do I want to, I don't decide whether we ultimately write it, but I would decide whether this looks good or bad from a risk point of view, I have a day. So information is key, the right information at the right time. The key risks, I mean, they're no different to any other building when you think about it, fire escape of water, site security in terms of arson it's just that usually with insurance we get this at lastminute.com and we don't have the time and we don't fully understand how the risks are going to be managed so the risks that you are considering are no different to any other building the only additional things that you're looking at are supply chain that's one big thing for us who is building it and we want to understand the full supply chain have they done it before what's their experience like what's their claims history like with this as well if we if we know that this is being built by competent people all the way throughout and being managed by competent people when we talk about property protection, that to me answers a lot of my questions in my head, not just 
you know, your detailing. We don't go into copious amounts of detail. We don't have the resources or capability to do that. So you can't flood us with everything. We just need to know that, are you going to manage this project properly? And are you going to build it? And yeah, that's the comfort that we need. So quickly, before I move on to Kelly and Jonathan, just last question for me. Are there any silver bullets uh, in terms of testing or data or training or you know, more work on repairability, which uh, Phil talked about of, of timber structures. Is there anything that we could do to give you better information? Better information? Um, I think look through the playbook. Look at the key themes and put together something that says, this is how we are addressing those issues. The silver bullet would be, for a lot of insurers, would be encapsulated. But mm. then no one wants to hear that. So you've then got to then find that happy medium of, what we, at the end of the day, you can't just design it to building standards and design codes. It's not enough for insurers. Insurers, Phil mentioned it, it's property protection, not life safety. If you look after your building, you inherently look after your people. But we ensure property protection. We have to reinstate that to as it was before the event. So you really need to get your heads dialed into how are we going to protect our property and as a construction person, don't just focus on the operational phase as designers. You know, you might be able to then ensure it for when, you, when it's building and operated, but if you can't get it to be insured during the construction phase, that's gonna be your next bigger issue. Property protection is your issue at the moment, but it will then move on to construction where you don't have your sprinkler protection, you might not have your permanent leak detection. You really need to get on board with understanding how those risks are being managed during the construction phase as well. You're not alone, by the way. Your broker plays a key role in this whole information presentation process. And, and I think we, we mentioned this in the playbook that, that again, not, not, not all relationships and not all uh, uh, knowledge is equal. So just because you're used to using one broker or, or it doesn't mean that you, you should maybe use them for a mass timber project. They are going to be, they'll be doing way more work before Zurich get to see it uh, and the time pressures that they're under, which again are very logical and, 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 and a, you know, part of commercial life. So the broker plays a really important world, world role in helping you filter what is required and when to talk to the insurers. Um, and Jonathan, so to you please, um, what do developers need to be more aware about when approaching the use of mass timber on a project? What are the kind of things that you'd be saying, guys, you need to think about this? Um, well, listening to uh, these two guys, um, managing risk, managing risk in design, um, and then going forward, managing risks in construction. Um, and I think it, what the playbook suggests you should do is engage early and competencies um, with the principal designers within the team led by the principal designer, the architect, the project engineer, engage with um, specialists like ourselves, subcontractors, supply chains, manufacturers. You know, we've delivered nigh on 400 buildings now, um, the first back in 2003. So We've gone through that loop quite a few times um, in all different shapes and sizes, but the, the, the managing of the risks and the challenges in design and construction are, are, are fairly familiar and fairly common amongst all projects. Um, 
So I think it's about making sure as a commissioner of a building or someone who's going to manage the building um, once it's delivered out of the construction phase is giving confidence that there's been a you know, a competent team of people around it. I, I would suggest that building out of timber can be harder um, for design teams than perhaps more traditional forms of construction. Um, so bring knowledge and expertise in and around you where you, where you need it. Understood. And, and Kelly, moving on, I mean, competence has come up a lot on the panel. Uh, there is a lot of talk in the playbook about the importance of peer reviews and checking. What's your view on peer reviews? And, and as someone has actually used the Mass Timber you know, insurance playbook, like what, you know, how, what kind of part do you think that's got to play? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, I think peer reviews are super important, especially if you're doing something unusual. Um, <laughs> it, it, we're not, you know, it needs several opinions on how to do it, I think. And, and that's been evidence in the black and white building. I think there were probably three or four engineers involved in that, fire engineers, structural engineers, different, different ones. Um, and when you're doing something that's, you know, doesn't have any data for the insurers, then they need that sort of level of comfort from, from elsewhere. I mean, going through the process, I just, um, just we've not actually built the building that was shown. Um, it's actually in, at the beginning of stage three at the moment, and that's when we gave a present presentation to technical director and um, the underwriter at Zurich. And um, it was really, it's, it was a really interesting process to go through because actually going through the, the playbook and, and the things that are pointed out, most of it we do anyway as designers. Most of it is normal detailing. It's just that we don't communicate it well to insurers. And it's just, going through it myself, I learned that actually I just need to do a presentation that explains how we're mitigating all the risks and how competent we are as a team. Um, and that will actually, you know, <laughs> get over most of the hurdles. Um, and it was, it was a really revealing process. But then obviously some things did come out that I just had, wouldn't have thought of otherwise. For example, um, the proximity of trees um, to the roof and how that could, the dried leaves falling on if there wasn't a maintenance plan could ca cause a fire on the roof or the proximity of the adjacent building and if that was gonna be, um, if, if the fire could spread if there was extra loss because the, the neighboring building as well. And um, these were all things as a structural engineer I hadn't really thought through before, to be honest. So we started to then think those through and come up with plans in, in, the, in that case as well. Um, so yeah, it was a really interesting process to go through. Um, and it was really satisfying at the end where we, we sort of got the, you know, the green light that it wasn't going to cause um, an excessive premium on top of what it would be if it was a traditional building. So. So, guys, we're coming to the end now, but we have had a really good question. Um, forgive me if I pronounce your surname uh, incorrectly. So it's Brian Orkansky, uh, who's Head of Sustainability at Studio Murren. And they say, is there a named list of insurers that will use the playbook? And if not, what's the plan for the industry at large to sign on to it? And again, I guess it's back to the insurance guys to ask that question best, but I think that's a really, really good question. Phil, do you so want to go first? The, 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 the playbook is not... It's mainly designed for the non-insurance community, right? So it, it, you can approach an insurer in any which way you want to. Um, you, so it's not really for them. It's, it's up to you to go, well, this is what we're doing and this is the outcome I want to achieve from this relationship. And then ask them what they want back. 
Now, what we do with the playbook is actually cover all the bases so that you should get very few questions back from the insurer, which just makes the, from an insurer's perspective, it makes it really efficient and really easy to do business with you. It's a commercial contract, so we all like ease and efficiency, right? So it's actually the other way around, I think, if, if, if that's fair. I mean, you know, like the STA, the 16 steps to fire, is, you know, that seems to be kind of used or understood ubiquitously through the insurance industry. This is that one step further, isn't it? It really gathers, you're talking the language that people like Robert and yourself wanna, wanna understand. True, but, and, and, it, and also that there's, it's, it's really unfair, but again, it's a commercial business, relationships are unequal. So you may, and we certainly see this in the US, where it's the much bigger contractors, the much bigger developers that are getting projects insured because the corporate relationship between that entity and an insurance company or two or three insurance companies is really big. The numbers are really big, the annual premiums are really big. So there's a lot more purchasing power for that particular uh, contractor or developer. It, it's, it's not fair, but this is the commercial world we live in. Um, so again, you're not gonna get, there's no insurers are saying, hey, we're up for this. It depends on what you're presenting to who, uh, well, and then the unfair part, the, the, to who, when, is it a Friday, is it a Tuesday? You know, all these things matter, but mm. just like they do in any kind of commercial pitch. Okay, I think, I think that's a fair yeah. answer. Sorry, just go for one it. point or two points. I'd, yeah, go for firstly, it. Firstly, I think the playbook, the playbook sort of was not just seen by Zurich, it was seen by several different yeah. insurers, insurance groups, to validate it. But just picking up on Phil's point about, to be honest, it will be the bigger developments that will end up getting across the line due to purchasing power, being able to afford the commerciality of, of premiums and et cetera that goes. But then hopefully what that will then do is it sets a precedent that actually it can be done, and we see it can be done, but also then you then start getting the claims data, you start getting a better understanding. We've ensured that project, it went well, great. We'll do a bit more and we'll do a bit more. And then it will then feed down the chain. So it's always gonna be with a lot of projects your big ones, your bigger ones that will actually drive it, even though ironically they're probably, from an insurance point of view, probably more riskier. But actually, you'd be surprised in insurance how relationships and commercial relationships drive a lot of things, so. I think that's good. I mean, just, uh, we've had one from an anonymous member of, of, of the audience that said, so based on your answer, do insurers wish they had a, play, a playbook for all forms of construction, so to make pr the process easier, and this sets the standard? So the, the, the playbook is relevant to any type of construction project, right? It doesn't have to be mass timber. It, the, the, the mass timber part is the, is the bolt-on at the end of going, well, what else do we need because of the materials being used? So the principles on the playbook are relevant for any construction project anywhere in the world. It's still a process that you as the, uh, as the, the insureds go through, and it's a process that the insurers go through to, to review those risks and to price it. So it, it's agnostic of material. Just that mass timber, in a way, has been the catalyst for this. Just on that, what's, what's more in useful is the non-insurance community putting together sets of standards and uh, rule, a playbook. And I know there's a number of leading developers that are, that are, uh, are putting together a commercial timber building playbook. So this is non-insurance. This is, this is from the owners, developers, the design community saying, what is best in class, what, what, what have we learned works really well, and what should all of us adopt as some key, key pillars uh, via the playbook. Now, that's been funded by Built by Nature, and I think yeah. it should come out by the end of the year, maybe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, I, I certainly know it's Built by Nature again, putting their, 
you know, their, their, their weight behind helping unlock this problem. And, and I think, you know, Andy Hayne of HTS makes a really good point here. And, and you know, he's been on a lot of Timber projects, so this is, he, he understands this, you know, very well. So to you guys, again, is it the relative cost of insurance or is it the risk of not getting the insurance upon completion which prevents wider adoption? But, you know, and this is the thing. I mean, we are finding in a lot of cases that we just can't get the insurance. I mean, the clients are willing to pay a premium, but in some cases can't get it. I, 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 you know, if you have a car, you can't, you can't go to the market and get a car insurance quote for three years' time, right? You just can't. Uh, and, and so to, to expect that you can go out and get a property insurance policy committed today for a mass timber project that, that, that you may or may not build and that may or may not be finished in three years' time, four years' time, two years' time, whatever, it's just not going to happen. But this is where we need, and this is where, I, and I'll be bold here, I think a lot of the development community um, have actually been a bit disingenuous. It, that doesn't fit with their business model. It, it's a it's a fear factor. They go to their board and they sit there and go, yeah, we can do this, 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 and this. Yeah, but what about property insurance? Our business model is we're going to flip this as soon as we, 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 we build it. Therefore, we need to know what that's going to be like. We don't know that. Okay, we're not going to go through. Roll the dice. How important is net zero for you, right? How important is it that you move this forward? Right? Life is full of people that, that are pioneers who didn't know what the answer was going to be, but they did it anyway. We need developers to do that because it's way more, it's way easier to get insurance on your building six months before it's completed when you can walk underwriters around it and go, this is what it is, this is how we've mitigated risk, this is how we're going to manage it, this is our facilities management strategy, so on and so on, and you can actually see it in person. If we talk to the office group, um, and I forget the, the chap's name, the C, Charlie Green, um, he'll tell you that, that, yes, it was a challenge for them, but the difference between the rent that they're securing and the premium that they're paying is a positive one insofar as they're making more money, if you just look at rent and insurance, on a mass timber building, because the difference between that is much greater, or the profit between the two is much greater, it's a terrible explanation, but than if it was just a traditional building and the property insurance price they'd be paying there, right? You ha if you guys want to build out of this, you just gotta do it. You will get insurance, there are things you can do at the last minute, if, it, if it's really, really bad, and I can tell you now, it won't be. But you've just got to be confident and just do it, because once the building's built, an insurer's going to find it really difficult not to go, okay, mainly because they walk into it and go, this is lovely. All right? it, again, the human element. They do want to be a part of it, but you've just got to be bold. Yeah, no, I understand. So, Robert, I'll ask you kind of question about, um, you know, is it, do you look at, is it the, the, if the, the size of the building in terms of how much timber's in it? You know, is, if... Uh, a large development was to switch to something more hybrid. There's talk about intermediary concrete floors, perhaps, in the, in, in, in the Mass Timber Insurance Playbook. There's talking about using steel and CLT. Encapsulation, you've touched upon. Do these things actually really help the bigger the project is, or should we be doing them on projects of all sizes, all sectors, etc., etc.? I'd say all sizes. I don't think, I think the bigger it is, you, 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 you touched upon um, doing estimated maximum loss. Usually that will be a percentage of the building value, so whether it's 20 stories or five stories, the percentage will usually be roughly, you know, could be similar. Um, so you should be doing it, I would say, on all. Obviously, as you go bigger, the, it introduces more risks, um, inevitably in life safety and property protection. Um, but you're not, you know, we're not seeing, you know, 
mass timber buildings in, in the order of like 30, 40 storeys. So it's all, at the moment, just getting five to 10 storeys over the line is, is difficult. So you should be approaching it, I think, consistent. And like I say, with risk mitigation in mind, um, don't think of the size or scale. Um, just think of best practice, but best practice from property protection. Jonathan, I think you, you want to jump in there, and you've, you've seen it also. Yes, indeed. I mean, there's, um, we've been focusing a lot on commercial buildings. Of the 20 to 25 buildings a year that we deliver, 70% of that is in education, in different shapes and forms. Um, whether it be South Gloucestershire Council, Cambridge, they are clients that do have purchasing power um, because they've got quite a big built estate to manage and I was listening to the gentleman earlier on the other stage who's the chief sustainability officer for the DFE, the Department for Education, one of the key funders. He's not going to change his agenda on their pathway to the low carbon, zero carbon future that the DFE uh, sees for itself and its, its estate. Um, so you're not going to, the insurance industry isn't going to change their direction. Um, so what, and again, that's where the playbook, I think, will, will help because it's, again, demonstrating to the industry, the client-led, that there is, what they're delivering is insurable because we're, we're going through these risk items, um, design risks, construction risks, interface, structure interfaces with everything in one shape or form. Um, so I think there will be, um, I think the client-led piece will force us all as contributors to the built environment to change the way we do things and look at the risks that are perceived to be around um, mass timber. Just what I don't know, you know, renewable energy, um, we're all very well used to it now. If you look at it as a, uh, a cost per kilowatt or, or whatever metric, insurance is more both during construction and operation of, of renewable sources of energy than the old traditional sources of energy, right? Uh, unfortunately, these things come at, a, at, a, at some form of a cost. Uh, and in other industries, we just accept that because we can pass it on in various ways or means. We need to view mass timber as the same. Kelly, how important do you think it is to educate all of the stakeholder groups and, and do more in that respect? Uh, Fundamental, yeah. I mean, that's the biggest part of this is just everyone understanding each other. <laughs> um, and it's not, I mean, it's definitely a, a process as you go through. I mean, there were lots of things we learned um, just thinking about in a, in a different way um, when doing the project that was mentioned. We, we, that was a school, actually. And um, there was a canteen on the ground floor. So we had a non-combustible structure over that. All of the... Um, uh, the flues, etc., went out at ground floor. They didn't go up through the CLT over. Um, the atrium started at the level above. It didn't go through to the ground floor. And it, it, it was just sort of thinking about the issues that the insurers would have from the start, sort of um, influenced by the playbook, really sort of set how we set the whole building out from stage, beginning of stage two. Um, and it was just, it was a really nice education piece for the whole design team. It included the architect, included the M&E engineer, included ourselves, the QS. Um, and so, yeah, it, I think, and the client. <laughs> um, so, yeah, from the design team side, it was super important to go through that process. And we want to share that as widely as we can so everyone's thinking that way. Um, and it's also fantastic to see, you know, the insurers engaging with it, producing documents like the playbook 
So, you know, you, we understand what you need, but also understanding how our design processes work better so that we, we can give you the right information at the right time. And, and I think it's really nice to see this all coming together and starting to push forward. So, yeah. So, uh, I'm just going to ask one more question from the audience, but uh, I'm going to ask at the end, 30 seconds each, if you could tell us you know, what, what you think the future is of mass timber, so to get you thinking about this, and, and also what comes next, what's needed to come next to get more timber buildings being physically built, not just designed, but actually get into construction. But before I do that, if I quickly go to Robert, uh, one of the audience has, has asked, it's believed a key blocker to insurance for mass timber is a lack of historic data comparing insurance risk against other structures. Is this still the case, or do you feel that you've got enough information, have you got a plethora of information available to you to, to give this the best chance? So we're talking about claims data. So we don't, I mean, you speak to any insurer and that you say claim, they'll go back to, I think it's 2013, 2014, the Nottingham Uni campus building, 100% loss, the whole thing burnt down. That is their mentality. There's been no other claims, because we're not insuring it, we're not building it, to then to go, okay, that was a one-off, but actually we had a fire on this project, and this was the value of that claim. So if well, you don't have that experience, and insurers and you know, engineers, you will, if you don't have the information, you will always go slightly conservative. You will always go risk adverse. So it's, you sort of, it's, it's, you know, it's a vicious circle. You need to be building it to get the claims data mm. and to, to get the comfort. And that's where I think commercially, I think there's gonna there will have to be a, a hit on premiums. Premiums will be, will be higher excesses will be higher. This is how it's been built in the States. Yeah. You know, and, we, and Zurich are putting down capacity, but it's with significantly higher, and that will come down with time. But that to me is, and then, then you'll then start getting your claims information to give you comfort as to where you should be pricing it. So perhaps it's more about policy wording, it's about excesses, it's, it's about yeah. negotiation maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of elements to it. It's not just, does this look a technically good risk? There could be exposure. You could have two mass timber buildings right next to each other, completely independent. Well, that just increases your exposure in that area for that risk. There's a lot of coverage. What coverage do you get? What does your, it's like, you know, all of us will buy our travel insurance. We won't go through the policy document. We'll just buy it, price it, and then that's it, job done. And you think it does the job. Insurers will go through and they need to tailor all of that policy document to make sure that it suits them, and there are some reasons. It might be a good risk on paper, but it doesn't mean it, they'll want to insure it for various other reasons. Guys, we're, we are running out of time now, apologies. Um, look, it, it all sounds very positive. Um, so thank you for all the work that you've done on the Mass Timber Insurance Playbook. As I say, guys, it is free to download, it's free to use. There's no harm reading it and applying it to your projects. And uh, fingers crossed, it will enable a lot more Mass Timber hybrid buildings. Thank you for your time, and thanks to the panel and Footprint for having us. <laughs>